You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered, and we are going to highlight some of the fantastic interviews that our colleague Jessica Kleinschmidt has done for us that you can hear here on A's Cast and the A's Radio Network. You're going to hear from former A's Dan Straley and Ryan Sweeney. How about the great John Cruck? What a player he was, broadcaster, and also one of the top voices. She does a tremendous job for the Orioles. Melanie Newman. Up first, Dan the K-Man Straley. We have Guardians versus A's coming up shortly. Jessica here with perhaps a familiar name to you A's fans. Former A's pitcher Dan Straley. Dan, how the heck are you today, my friend? I'm good. I am good. I am uh, currently grinding uh, in the PCL. Uh, back where it all began, right before I became an A. You mentioned the PCL and you're a pitcher. I'm sending you prayers. I know it could be difficult, but yeah, you're in the Diamondbacks organization now, AAA Reno, literally my backyard. I've been giving you all kinds of food recommendations. I'm so glad that you're there, but now that you're back in the States, you know, you're, you've been, you've been there before you went overseas, played uh, with the KBO and now, now you're back in the States. So how are you feeling overall? And then back to playing baseball in the U S um, I love it. I love it. It was uh, first a little challenging saying no to a very nice uh, offer from my my team in Korea. But I came home to be closer to family, closer to friends. I've already had a few friends visit. My family's been back and forth a number of times. Uh, my son's playing t-ball. Um, he's actually on the A's. Um, and so he uh, he's, had, he's had two games and it breaks my heart that I haven't been able to see him. But, um, you know, I, they get to fly home and do that. And it's like a 40 minute flight to our house. So it's really nice. And we get a chance to, to kind of live life and still keep playing baseball. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, you actually get to see your, your family. And I know that was kind of a, yeah. a thing for you. Um, and I couldn't imagine having to have Amanda and Jackson come back in, all the way over there. So I'm glad that you're here. Great vibes. All is good. So how is pitching actually going for you? You made the joke. You're still pitching with the same hand, everything like that. Um, yep, how, how, right how, yeah, how, how's everything going on the mound for you right now? Um, it's good. It's actually going really well. Um, uh, leading the, leading a couple of categories in the PCL, uh, positive ones. Um, and so that's always what you want to do when you're, when you're a pitcher, uh, great Gil Patterson once told me you got to lead the league in something, just make it positive. And, um, you know, so I've, I've never really forgotten about that since 2012 when he told me that, but, um, it's going well I went overseas. I knew that that baseball was telling me, Hey, like, you know, something's, something's not working. You're not doing something right. You know, if you want to be here. Uh, so I, I didn't go over there with the mindset of like, you know, like F that, like, I'm just going to bully my way. No, I was like, I'm going to go over here and like learn some stuff. And so, uh, I learned to cutter and a curveball from my teammates, uh, change my change up a little bit and just really embraced it and brought those things back. And like, I've gotten probably over 
over half of my outs have been on cutters this year so far. And it's just odd because I never threw a cutter in my career prior before I was here. Um, and so it's just kind of fun. I've always like, you know, getting drafted by the A's in the 24th round, um, really just kind of had a fastball at that point in my career, like everything else, just it stunk. And I was just very receptive to, to Lefferts and Patterson and really just kind of became a product of the Oakland A's system. You know, I've talked about that many times in, uh, in my podcast, the journeyman, but the, 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 the belief of like, or the, the, I guess the stigma that the A's have of being like this, like developmental pitching organization, like a guy that's lived it. I can tell you that I'm extremely grateful for those, for those men. They've, they've changed my life. Uh, they've changed my family's life. And so all these things are just, are, are just great. And um, taking that same, like the same tools that Gil and Lefty really like pounded into me when I was a younger, younger ball player overseas has now allowed me to come back and continue this journey. I was going to just give your numbers, but you left it off such a beautiful note, but I will a four two two ERA mind you in the PCL um, 19 strikeouts. Looks oh, like that's in, good over here. It's, We're good. You're great. Yeah. 19 strikeouts, 21 and one third innings. Numbers look good, Dan killing it. You mentioned how, and I've talked to you about this before, how important and special the A's organization was to you. Of course, you mentioned a 2009 draft guy. I mean, what's so special about this organization? I feel like there's a, just like, there's like this connection as an A's ball player that I had with the fans that it wasn't like, I know that like the, the A's fans get like, they, they get made fun of a lot for like not being the biggest crowds or, you know, whatever, whatever situation is, they always seem to get picked on for it, but it's almost like they just like take the punch and just like keep going. But it all started for me, like back when I was even in, in, in high A in Stockton where it was like, I just was going to games and seeing a lot of familiar faces. I was there for an entire season, seeing a lot of the same people. Um, and then I would like occasionally see him in Sacramento. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. You know, we're right there. And then I would all of a sudden when I was in Oakland, I realized those are the same diehard fans that were coming down to watch us play on road trips. And it was like, you just kind of see this and it just kind of, it kind of creates like a full circle effect as a ball player, seeing these people day in and day out. Um, and realizing like how passionate they were. Um, I grew up a West Coast kid. I got a chance to play most of my early professional career in the state of California, being with Stockton, Sacramento, and Oakland. And so it was a lot of special things for me for being that way, like just being close to family, um, you know, being a California-born guy. It was just, it was, it was great. And I loved every bit of it. But I, I truly, truly wonder what my life would be like if I wasn't drafted by the A's. I know everyone develops baseball players, but I wonder what my life would be like if I didn't have the impact of those, those guys in my life. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, shout out to the right filled wills of the world who will watch yes. If you don't, if you don't love me at my high a, you don't deserve me at my MLB. I believe that is a saying manager, Mark Kotze, who of course is taking over this season. And he mentioned the A's way. And I talked to him in depth about this and the A's way, as he defined, where, you know, there's this grit, uh, Cole Urban says, professional chaos as a team, as a whole. Is, was that always the case? I think so. I truly do. Um, when, I was, when I was much younger, uh, I, was, I remember having a conversation with, with Dave Force about, I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was, like what the situation was, but we were talking about why a certain level wasn't like, 
the nicest facility or something like that. And he basically said, like, we just, we just pure and simple. We just don't want guys to get, we don't want guys to like fall in love and be comfortable in that spot. And I'm not saying that like, that's like what the Oakland A's are all about, but I'm saying like, I think there's some, I think there's some, there's some grit that you got to have as an ace ball player because, um, you know, I remember one other thing, like when, when John Heyman back in the day had a tweet about, it's a shame that the A's and Giants are playing this game in the Coliseum when the beautiful, I think it was AT&T at the time was like sitting there empty. I remember that. And we're just like, and it like set off a storm on Twitter of A's fans and, and, and A's ball player. And so it's no secret that, like, I think that the, I think Sean Doolittle said that uh, it, it might be a pile of junk, but it's our pile of junk or whatever the exact words were. I don't remember. I'm not trying to start instigating anything with these comments, but the, um, this, that's really how we felt. Like, I don't really care what it looks like. It's ours. This is where we play our games. Like, this is our place. And people always ask me that all the time. They're like, dude, did it like, did it suck coming up having the Coliseum as your first big league stadium? And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I didn't know that. I didn't know the difference. Yeah. Love that place. Place will always be special to me. And, and I know you and I have talked about that before. And I feel like we need to tell people, and I think we've actually talked on the journeyman podcast. They said like, oh, the, the Coliseum is so bad. And those people have never actually been to the Coliseum. Yes. Right. No. And, and it's just that you have that the outfield bleachers and you mentioned you can have 10,000 fans at the Coliseum. It'll feel like 30 easily. And I feel like that's something that we need to, that is important for us to think about. So take me back to your, you walked out on the Coliseum wearing an Oakland uniform for the first time. What, how did that feel? I was it was electric for me. I got a chance to pitch on a Friday night, 32,000 firework night against the Blue Jays. That was 10 years ago yeah. this year. Um, and uh, like it was the, like the most bone chilling moment because I hit the dugout. And as I was walking down the line, people just like started like yelling my name and chanting my name. And I was just like, oh, my God, they know me. I can't. This is OK. Where do I hide? <laughs> like this, this little kid that grew up in a farm town in Eastern Oregon out here just like like shaking around like what am I doing like I it was just it was bizarre um and I feel like I kind of like blacked out for that moment and then kind of came to it and I was like standing on the mound but it was um it was electric like I I was very blessed with being on very very good teams right away in the big league something that very few guys get a chance to experience and I got to wait I got to see the way baseball is supposed to be played at the highest level playoff caliber baseball every night um and I also got to see what the Coliseum was all about when the team is good. And I think that's fair for every team. Like, I feel like there's very few places. There's a couple, but there's like nowhere does every night packed when the team's not very good. And that just makes sense. Like, honestly, it just makes sense. Why would people want to go spend their hard-earned money when a team isn't going to be very good? So I totally get both sides of that. But I got a chance to be a part of that wave of just packed house Oakland Coliseum. And I loved every second of it. The, the journeyman is, is, an, is a term that you hold dear to your heart, not just because it's the name of your podcast, but I mean, you just said 10 years ago, Dan, and you're yeah. still, you're still getting a paycheck to play baseball. That's dope. But the thing oh, yeah. that I, the thing that's really cool is the A's this year, there are a lot of un, people say there's a lot of unknown names, but it's not a young team. You know, there's a Jed Lowry on there. There's a Steven vote, Christian Bethencourt. I haven't heard of him in years and boom, I'm sharing a clubhouse with him. Now, what kind of keeps these guys going? And, and obviously 
they're, they're able to be resilient because their bodies haven't totally fallen apart, but isn't there a time where you just say I'm done? And I know Amanda has a lot to do with that. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those deals where anyone that actually makes it to the highest level of this game, really want anyone that gets into professional baseball. Um, I would say most, not, not everyone. And you know, this, not everyone, but most are also big, like baseball fans and just are passionate about this sport and this game. Um, you know, and I feel like some guys, maybe they just, they just treat it like a job. Like I'm sure those guys are out there, but I feel like most of us are just passionate about this sport and this game. And this is just kind of what we do. And we love every second of it. And we'll go, we'll go wherever, whoever wants to pay us to keep playing this great game. We'll do it. Um, and yeah, I think it's great that, like you said, Jed and, and Steven, I got a chance. I was, those are guys I played with a decade yeah. ago. Well, not Steven a decade ago. Steven was what, nine years ago, yeah. but I got a chance to play with those guys. Um, you know, I remember when Steven finally got his first big league hit after going over with the Rays and like the decade later, no one cares that Steven was over 31 or whatever the hell it was. Like nobody cares. You know, I, where I see Jed every off season work out with him every, like, or a couple you know, a couple of weeks every Oh, that's right. Oregon guy. Oregon. Yeah. yeah. When he's up in Oregon, uh, he's always around for the holidays. And so I always see him and, you know, I saw that guy when he was like non-functioning, like couldn't walk and was mm-hmm. just like trying to like, I'm, I'm going to get this. I'm going to figure this out. Like I'm not letting my last play be, you know, taken off on injury. Like, it's just, it's like things like that, that people don't see that behind the scene, the grit, like you said, like, that's just, that's just what it's all about. And, um, I think it's too, it's just, this is all we know. This is all like all we know. I'm 33 years old. I've been doing this since I was 20 years old and it's all I know. And I love it. I love it. I've been so blessed by this sport and this game. And it all started with Oakland. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll finish with Oakland. Like there's, I want to keep playing for a lot of years. Yeah. It so wouldn't we'll be the weirdest thing for a, no. a veteran to retire with the A's. I love that. Absolutely. Well, I was, I was that naive, like 24, 25 year old. That was like, I'm going to be here forever. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then no one's there forever on any team, on any on team. Any it's team. not just the, it's like literally, no, it's like any team. I like, thought there's... Freddie Freeman was going to be in his Walker showing up to a, to a break. I mean, he might be, maybe he'll come back, but it's not going to happen for a while. I really thought he was just going to be a lifer. And so that things shock you. You never know. They do. They do. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead. No, as I say, is you just like, whenever people, you know, say like, just like the, Oh, I've never heard of these guys. Or, um, I remember saying to a reporter back in 2013, when we went into the playoffs in Detroit, um, this kind of applies directly to, to what you were mentioning with like the team being young, but not really being, or being, you know, young and experienced, but not really mm-hmm. young. And a reporter said to me in, in 2013, um, she goes like, you know, like no offense to you guys, but like, you know, it's Verlander, Scherzer, Annabelle Sanchez, Doug Fister, and, and we haven't really quite heard of you guys. And I said, well, if you haven't heard of us, that's, that's a you problem, not an us problem. And yeah. I think that directly applies to like what's going on over there with you guys right now too, where it's like, listen, like if you're a baseball fan, like, and, and you truly don't know who like Corving is like, that's yeah. kind of on you, like yeah. that's on you. And that's okay if you don't know who he is, but like, don't like, don't, don't discount the fact that, that he's here making stars. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that, I think it kind of goes both ways. Like I couldn't tell you 
who the the fifth guy up and down for the Blue Jays is. Right. And I'm a big I'm a big baseball fan and yeah. a player. Right. Like it's so it's just like, and that's and I think that's okay. Like I don't I don't need to know everybody on every single roster. And um, but also too, I think it's a great time for um, for guys to to possibly have careers that maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity um, had a team been able to hold on to all their players and offer massive contracts and have $300 million payrolls. Um, you get opportunity to get a lot of these players like a Steven vote mm-hmm. that might not have had opportunities elsewhere, but a team saw something in him and brought him over. And, and now we've all heard the legend. And so it's just kind of, it's, it's, I think it kind of is really a, a beautiful thing both ways. Um, when a team is full of just superstar names and also when a team is full of people like the reporter said to me, we just quite frankly, don't know who you are. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm a little bit selfish with that. It resonates with me because you have to give somebody a shot to see their potential. Right. And we will never discredit front office people. I, I love what David force does. And I genuinely mean that I'm not just saying that as an A's employee, I've always admired him from afar. They see something and then you see it on the field. It's beautiful. So it's always like, Dang, Forrest, I see you. Okay. Um, the last one before I let you go, uh, it was the Bay Bridge series. And I was, um, Gabe Kapler was asked about hitting, hitting these days. And mind you, he's, he was not too far from move, removed from the game. So you were there at the beginning. This I'm talking minors. You saw the game change in different ways and pitching oh, yeah. velocity. And, you know, you're adding pitches to your, your repertoire, but What's probably some of the, what are some of those main things that have changed over the years for you as a player watching the game? Um, it's funny you say that. I was in the, I'm with the Dimebacks organization. So spring training, um, sitting there with Mad Bum and we were talking about something and we were like, this just, this just isn't the game that we, we grew up playing. And I, I want to say we were talking about the use of like the automatic strike zone in the minor leagues, the pitch clock the the bigger softer bases that they implemented uh the no pine tar mm-hmm. like no sticky stuff rule like that are finally being enforced since like you know 1902 or whenever they invented that rule um and so it's just kind of like the game has changed a lot the ball players have changed a lot um the the velocities thrown have changed a lot i was talking mm-hmm. yesterday with the guy how i had a teammate who threw incredibly hard like he was the hardest throwing guy in the bullpen one of the hardest throwing guys in the league he was like 94 96 and it was just like incredible like nobody saw a fastball like this ever in their life and now yeah. it's like and I'm, there was there was guys that threw harder but you know they were kind of in the big leagues really quickly because it was like oh my gosh this guy's yeah. 97 get him out of here right and nowadays that's just like a dime a dozen kind of feel i know it's not really people think it is but come, come watch come watch an actual like few baseball games and yeah, there's plenty of guys that are throwing that hard. Um, but there's a lot more 94s obviously with it being the average, but for every 94, you know, average, there's a guy like me throwing 90 and then there's somebody else throwing 98. So it's Mm -hmm. just kind of, it's kind of just crazy how it all balances out. Um, you know, we got, we got, we got Hendricks and Chapman canceling each other out. So we're, we're good. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the game has just changed a lot. Obviously we're seeing, well, not right now in the biggest currently with, you know, the slow start, um, with the average, but seeing a lot of homers. I mean, yeah. come watch a triple A baseball game. If you want to see some homers. Um, I'm actually batting so like, 300 in the PCL myself. So 
My slugging you average through nice. the roof in the PCL for sure. Well, have you seen that? I, everyone's seen it. There's like a, a a clip on Twitter going around where it's like, I think it's, I think it's Hedges goes to bunt. He bunts and it goes over the fence. <laughs> and it's like, bring back the juice balls. And it's like, it's like, you know, just a sack bunt. Yeah. It's just fun editing. And yes. I, I love that kind of stuff. I actually did that with the Sean, with Sean like. Murphy. I, because he got hit in the butt recently and it went viral. And so yeah, I, I showed I him saw. getting hit. Did you see <laughs> that's like no i just saying i saw well i saw him getting hit i don't think i don't think anyone on baseball twitter didn't see him getting hit. the world now knows who sean murphy is that's all that that's yeah. that, that's my personal goal and we did it we did it guys we did it <laughs> we did it nailed it exactly what he grew up i want to be known for this someday yeah and bless his heart nailed he it. hates talking about it but yeah anywho i wonder why yeah but yeah, well, when I was overseas in Korea, I had a teammate who I just printed a picture of him out and put it on a T-shirt, and he went from being, like, an absolute unknown person on our team to being, like, one of the most well-known, and he was, like, so mad at me at first, and then he was like, hey, thank you. Like, this has actually been really good for my career, so yeah. thank you. And I was yep. just like, I, that was, wouldn't have I wasn't happened trying 10 to years ago. Career, man. I was... I was like, I was just trying to, I was just trying to have some fun because he was like the most serious, like right. by, like the most serious person I ever met in the sport. And uh, I was just trying to get him to relax a little bit and it worked. And so, yeah, you never know what it's going to be. Um, that that kind of gets you out. It gets your name out there. And you never know what kind of doors it could open up for you either. So maybe like 15 years, 20 years down the road, he's going to be an analyst somewhere because of the, because of the, because of the, the infamous, the, the beanball. Mm -hmm. You never know. Um, last thing before I let you go, one day when you do hang up your cleats, what's what's next for Dan Straley? Oh, I have not even got to plan B yet. Um, I I can honestly see it being a number of things where maybe I'm a dad and a husband and running a coffee shop in Central Oregon, or maybe maybe I'm 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 working in a front office, maybe I'm I'm working on a field development, maybe I'm Maybe I'm working in broadcasting somewhere. I really have no idea where it's going to be. Um, and I think that's okay. You know, I've kind of taken this whole, this whole 14 year journey, uh, just kind of one step at a time and just really tried to, to embrace wherever my feet are and have as much fun wherever my feet are and not get too far ahead of myself. Um, and I, I think I need to, I think I kind of need to stay in that lane until I'm done, but I have a feeling that whenever I'm done, the right opportunity uh, would be a pretty easy decision and it'll, it'll present itself to me and I'll be able to be able to just go from there. I love that. Not having a plan B so you can concentrate on plan a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. All right, Dan, worked thanks for, worked for the last 14 years. <laughs> it has worked for the last 14 years. All right, Dan, thanks so much. It's always good catching up with you. Likewise. Take care. How about Ryan Sweeney, man, ACE fans loved him. Big outfielder with a sweet stroke. Here is the former outfielder for your Oakland Athletics. We have Oakland hosting the Rays beginning today. Jessica Kleinschmidt here as A's Total Access continues with the throwback name for some of you hardcore A's fans. Former Oakland outfielder Ryan Sweeney joins me today. Ryan, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Now, I want to talk about how this interview even came to fruition. And I was sitting in the press box, randomly saw number 21 Sweeney jersey being sported by mm -hmm. a fan. And it got me thinking, where is Ryan Sweeney? Couple of clicks on the Google machine, reach out to Boog Shambi, and here we are. If that's not journalism, I don't, I don't know what is. 
I, I know. And the crazy fact was that it kind of threw me off guard because it was on a Sunday too. And, and Boog sent me a text and he's like, Hey, I have somebody from the A's that wants to do an interview with you. And I'm like, sure, give him my number. And then it kind of just, we uh, started texting back and forth. And then you sent me that picture of somebody in the stands wearing a 21 jersey. And uh, here we are today. <laughs> well, and, you, and it's funny because you even said the 21 was unique because you also sported 15. So what happened there with Sheets? Yeah, so so literally I was number 15 every year except for that one year. Um, I think it was 2011 when Ben Sheets came over and pitched for the one year. He was always... Um, 15 coming up when he was with the Milwaukee Brewers and stuff and said that uh, I think he was just coming back off of Tommy John or something and he's told his kids like hey if I come back I'm gonna be number 15 again and um, me being the nice guy that I was uh, you know I'm not gonna let him not have his number so I ended up being 21 for that one year. I've heard sometimes there's some transaction there's some monetary value transactions involved (laughs) when it comes to that was there any money moved from him to you? No money, but when we were in spring training, he uh, he was nice enough to have his watch guy drop off like four or five watches, and uh, he said, "Go ahead and pick one." So oh, love like that! So that was uh, that was nice of him for sure. That's very very nice. Um, so before we get into your A's playing days, what are you up to right now? Uh, so right now, I'm just living in Naperville, Illinois. Um, moved here in thirteen. Um, while I was playing with the Cubs, ended up signing a multi-year, uh, contract after that, we were having our first kid and I'm from the Midwest. So ended up, to getting a house out here in Chicago and just ended up staying. And ultimately, uh, over the last three years now, I've been doing pre and post game stuff for the marquee network, um, with the Cubs and, um, working with them and been having a good time and just, you know, dealing with, uh, kids sports and all that comes along with that so pretty busy so you're basically I'm, I'm always curious because when it comes to having kids in sports you're not only a coach in certain regards but you've become kind of a taxi cab too oh absolutely uh, I got two boys and uh the youngest is starting to do stuff now too so now it's double time where you have soccer and baseball and basketball games to go to but um it's fun times Oh, as a former player, when they're being constructed, they're doing all this stuff with sports. Do you kind of lead with like, hey, I used to play in the bigs if you ever need anything? <laughs> Are you a hardcore dad? You're letting the coach do everything. What's the role that you've kind of taken on? I, I try to not step on anybody's toes. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm here if you guys need me and I'll help out with the kids. And, and uh, you know, it's funny that you say that because uh, one of the coaches for my son's eight-year-old team sent out the lineup and I was like oh that's probably not the lineup that I would do and my wife's like well you need to tell them they're not going to ask you what they want to do because they she thinks that some of the coaches think it's kind of tough to approach you know a former player and they don't want to ask for my help but um, you know I kind of just uh, tell them I help out when I can since I do do a lot of the games in the summertime I can't be at all the practices, so I can't commit to like being a head coach or anything. So I just, I just help out. And actually they have practice tonight. So when you're the baseball dad, are you sitting in the, in the stands? Are you like up against the fence? Are you like, how, what's the stance you take as a baseball dad? I'm always curious. Cause sometimes when they're pitch, the, the kids are pitching, they get nervous. They're shuffling yeah. back and forth. So right now, I mean, my oldest is only eight. So he's still at that age where he, he thinks I'm cool and he wants me to be in the dugout. So I help out and like, uh, you know, they just had a game on Saturday and, and I'll coach first base or, or whatever it is. And just kind of at this age they're I mean, they're learning the game and it's not, 
crazy competitive yet. I think the comp- uh, the parents probably take it a little bit more seriously than the kids do. So they just want to see their buddies. Yeah, I'm going to be a psycho <clears throat> baseball mom for sure. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, the guy who linked us up was Boog Shambi, and the guy is just an absolute legend, just an, yeah. an amazing man. What's it like working with a guy like that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't get to work a whole lot with Boog just because he's in the box, but I do get to see him when he comes into the studio. And yeah, I mean, I would say I look forward to seeing what, uh, if, if everybody doesn't know, you know, he's kind of a little bit of a sneakerhead. So just seeing what what pair of sneakers he's going to wear um, that day. But yeah, just to be around a guy like that, that has so many connections, I would say, throughout the game, being able to pick his brain, you know, just on different things and different experiences that he's had um, is a really cool thing to be able to have, you know, come into that every day in the studio and be able to work with a guy like that. From the moment you retired or even during your playing days, was media something that you were super interested in or did it kind of fall into your lap? I mean, I fell into my lap a little bit, but it was definitely something that I wanted to do. I wanted to, I think when everybody retires, you want to stay in the game at at some capacity, especially guys that like myself that got drafted out of high school that, you know, didn't go to college. So you're kind of almost like it's a reverse. You're like, what's next where most people are picking what their career is going to be when they're that age, you're almost retiring. Right. So um, it was one of those things where I wanted to be in the media and I wanted to do something in radio or TV or what it might be just from the standpoint of, um, you know, and who knows, maybe down the road, I do try to coach or something, but people don't realize that the coaching, you know, when you have young kids, I mean, you're gone, just you're gone even more than the players are, I would say, just because you're at the field just as long, if not longer. So getting into coaching and being gone all the time um, wasn't something that I necessarily uh, wanted to do right off the bat, but it's worked out well being able to do um, the media side of it and still be involved in the game. Yeah. And I've noticed that too. Like I've become super close to the coaches way. I see them way, way more than I do the players. And, and obviously I have to have a good relationship with Kotze, but it's been, yeah. I, I'll look in the clubhouse and the players haven't arrived yet, but Kotze has been there for a couple hours. So yeah, you know, it's actually a funny story. And I was going to tell this real quick is um, so I have actually Mark Kotze's bat sitting in my office. And the reason that I have that is because when I first got signed over with the A's, I was going through um, bats or something in the clubhouse and his bat was one of them that was in there and I really liked it and liked how it felt. And it was actually a G174 model, which was Jason Giambi's model. Mm -hmm. And um, I liked it so much that that, when I ended up signing a Louisville contract, that's the bat that I ended up using. And I used G74 for the rest of my career. And so I still have his bat that I never ended up using that bat in my office. So, so Kotze gave you a little bit of a boost when it came to the, the type of bat that you want to continue your career with. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't know him at all. And, uh, you know, he, he was there before I was there, um, but just kind of a cool, cool little story. He's one guy that I would I would definitely be looking up to, like I, just watching him. I wish I could have watched him play more because it was really cool. Tell me about that clubhouse. I feel, you know, you were, you got to be the out in the outfield with those amazing fans yeah. and come back into the clubhouse. I feel like it's always just been a really great, it's been unique. It's gritty, uh, a family kind of bond. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we were a younger group kind of at that time when I was coming up. Um, and two of the, the veteran guys, I, I guess you would say, were probably Mark Ellis, who I have his bat in here and Jack Cuss and those guys. 
um, uh, Bobby Crosby, but it, it was, it was a fun time. And I always, people always ask me, um, you know, who was your favorite team to play for or whatnot? And my answer is always different be, or it's always the same, but it's different than most people's just because I feel like you're at a different point in your career at certain times. And, you know, my favorite time when I was younger, um, you know, 21, 22, 23, 24 was playing for Oakland. And I mean, just having, having those times with those younger guys, I mean, still having those friendships with, uh, you know, Andrew Bailey, who's the pitching coach over with San Francisco yeah. and Kirk Suzuki and Derek Barton and all those guys, I still talk to them. Um, so it really being traded to Oakland and playing in Oakland was probably the best thing that happened to me for my career personally. And then, you know, obviously at the end of my career it was playing for the Cubs just because I had a house here and it was more of a, more like an everyday job, I guess you could say was playing all the day games and being at home for dinner. So yeah. You were an outfielder and I feel like the right field bleachers always gives those outfielders love. And, and what was a, a typical night playing at the Coliseum like as far as, you know, the fans backing you up? Well, yeah. And it was really cool just to see what kind of, uh, you know, signs they were going to come up with. Right. Like uh, I, I specifically, you know, remember just having uh, I was kind of known for my defense and having the Sweeney with the gold glove in the outfield and just having those guys behind you all the time um uh cheering you on and kind of waving at him before the game and it, it, it's a special place I always tell people it's you know they've been talking about getting a new stadium for so long and updating and now with obviously the Raiders being in Las Vegas having their own place but uh you know it, it, you tell people and it's like it feels so much more like a football stadium than it does a baseball stadium but for them to still show that support and have all those people out there and uh you know, it's just a cool atmosphere for, for a young player coming up. And you know that you're going to be able to, to play every day. Yeah, especially. And I think that's really cool that we, we've been able to see that. I've seen so many guys make their MLB debuts with the A's. And it's such a unique fan base. And I feel like when they continue their career, it's, just, it's different elsewhere. And they get that one shot with the A's as their debut. Um, so we know the story I'm about to tell you, a one Mr. Dallas Braden. I feel like if I was ever rehabbing, I'd want to be rehabbing mm -hmm. with Dallas. I yeah. want to hear about this confident Ryan Sweeney who said, hey, Dallas, I need for you to stay in the bullpen today because I'm going to hit a home run to you. So what was yeah. that confidence level? And what was it like rehabbing with Dallas Braden? And so it's funny because I, I always tell this story and, and I knew the story what you were going to say before you even <laughs> yeah. said it because I assumed that he knew it too. Um, but yeah, I was rehabbing in, uh, actually it wasn't, well, we were rehabbing in Sacramento at first, mm -hmm. but it actually was in Tucson, Arizona, against yeah. the Diamondbacks. but, um, I'm sure like most of your listeners know, I mean, I wasn't known for hitting a lot of home runs, but more for average and gap to gap power. But <clears throat> for some reason that day, I don't know why I was, I was most of the time when you go on a rehab assignment, they have you lead off. Mm -hmm. So I was leading off and Dallas was walking down to the bullpen and I was like, Hey man, I was like. Hey, be ready first pitch, uh, first pitch of the game today. I'm going to hit a home run to you in the bullpen, just kind of messing around or what, whatnot. And it was, it was like a Latin guy throwing 95 leading off and he ends up throwing me like a neck high fastball. And I wasn't known for really swinging at first pitches either, but, yeah. um, that day I ended up swinging at the first pitch and literally hit the ball over the fence right over into the dugout and he was going nuts and I was just pointing at him rounding the bases and uh it was probably one of the coolest 
times in my career, just from a standpoint of, of calling your shot. Right. And, uh, and people always ask me too. Um, and I have talked to Dallas a few times, but since playing with him, but what my coolest moment on the field was like as a player, and it was that perfect game when he pitched on Mother's Day, being able to play in right field and just the emotion that came with that and him uh, throwing a no or a perfect game against Tampa Bay. Um, that was one of the coolest, you know, times of my career, too. So. Yeah, it, it's a, a staple in A's history. And, you know, yeah. I remember watching him and I was just a fan of the A's back in the day. And now he's like, not just a colleague. He's like my he's like my family. And he quickly becomes a member of your family very, very quickly. Yeah. And so after that celebration of, of Dallas Braden, what was the clubhouse like after that? Was it, I would assume it's just insanity and emotions and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, in knowing, not knowing Dallas's whole story, like when he was younger, but then like finding out that, you know, kind of like his grandma raised him after mm -hmm. his mom passed away. And I mean, uh, coming off the field and just seeing her hug him and just, you know, I mean, I obviously had a tear in my eye um, coming off the field and just being a part of that whole situation. Uh, yeah, the dugout was crazy. And I mean, I actually so if you can see up here, I don't know, if you can see up in the corner up here. I have he gave everybody uh, um, it was like a, a Jack Dan or not Jack Daniels, but Crown Royal bottle with your name on it saying oh. Dallas Braden, you know, the year perfect game, this and that. So definitely a special time and everybody was yeah for sure going nuts in the in the club I mean obviously it's only been done what 19 times or something in history so um and to have it happen to a charismatic character to say the least like him uh is pretty cool and and he, he was definitely very highly complimentary toward you as well he just kept saying you're a great guy and I, I I would have given so much of my life to be able to cover that A's team it was just really cool just from a fan perspective and I'm yeah. so that's so cool that you got to be a part of it but I remember watching you as a fan and then now I, now you're on my show like it's a really cool moment from that perspective um just me being spoiled um so that's all I have for you today though Ryan Ryan thanks so much for stopping by um this was like a really cool dream for me to do. Awesome. I would love to do it again. Definitely. So for Ryan Sweeney, this is Jessica Kleinschmidt. Vince Contronio will be back as A's Total Access rolls on. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. When I was growing up, this guy could just flat out rake. And he was a fun-loving guy. Same way as a broadcaster, former All-Star John Krupp. Three-time All-Star and Philly's legend, John Cruck, is here with me. Crucky, my friend, your eyes got a little wide when I called you a legend, but it is yes. the case. Thank you for stopping by today. How's it going? 
uh, everything's good so far. But, uh, you know, Phillies are undefeated. Oakland's undefeated. So it should be a good series. It is two undefeated teams going up against each other. Happy opening day to you, my friend. Opening series, I should say. Now, one thing I've always been kind of curious about you, now you've seen different timelines of this game. An old school guy, but now you're covering the game in recent years. So what's it been kind of like watching baseball grow through this transitional phase over all of these years? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is the, the the size and the athleticism of the players now. I mean, you know, you look at guys like, uh, you know, Bryce Harper, how big he is, Mike Trout, how big he is. You know, you guys had Starlin Marte last year. I mean, a center fielder who's just huge. And the players are bigger. The players are more athletic. I've never been a real big fan of analytics. I kind of try to understand it a little better now. Uh, I still don't believe that strikeouts are just another out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll never believe that. I don't care who tells me that. And the smartest guy in the, in the world can tell me that. And I'm not going to believe him. But, uh, uh, you know, th- I think that's the biggest transition of the game is uh, all the strikeouts. Pitchers throw harder. I get it. And talking to players, they said, you know, you don't know. He said, you know, like, like a guy like Bryce, he might get two at bats against a starter. And then it's going to be, you know, depending on how the manager can line it up, lefty, lefty, lefty out of the bullpen, and each one of them throwing 95 to 100. Yeah, and you mentioned these strikeouts without scenario. What what exactly do you mean by that? Well, there's so many times, you know, watching these games, and I, I try to watch as many games as I can, uh, even if it's not the Phillies. Like, I, I try to stay up late and watch the West Coast games, but, man, when I'm, you know, you get older, staying up till 10 o'clock is a chore. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably going to struggle in late innings when the Phillies start playing night games. But, you know, it, you know, runner on third, less than two outs, strikeout. Uh, you know, runner on second, no outs, a strikeout. Uh, you know, productive outs are important. And you see – now with you know how how many great bullpens are there's going to be a lot of close games and that one run that one run you can push push across which is situational hitting you know would would you know it could win you five more games and you know you know how big five games is five game five more wins and five less losses you're probably going to get in the playoffs I think it's hurt the Phillies the last few years with all the strikeouts and uh situational hitting they haven't been great but uh they made a conscious effort this spring to to uh to be more aggressive, but better situational hitters. So hopefully that uh, parlays into some more runs and some more wins. Right. And you mentioned the bullpen and I'm kind of intrigued because the, the Phillies had a pretty ballooned ERA coming out of, of relief. What are your thoughts on how managers have maintained the bullpen over the years? Cause back when you played, we watched guys go nine innings. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest change. I think it started, what, what year was that when uh, Texas played the Cardinals in the World Series when David Freeze went off 2011, maybe? Yeah. When it looked like it was a rush to the bullpen from Tony LaRusso and Ron Washington. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they couldn't wait to get to the bullpens. And, you know, that's where the games change. You know, I always thought when I played that relief pitchers besides a closer were just failed starters who weren't good enough to start. So, you know, I thought I should be able to handle guys like that. But it's different now. You know, you look at the Phillies. Canable, uh, you know, is going to be the closer. He throws really hard. Seventh and eighth inning could very well be Alvarado, mm-hmm. who's a lefty that throws 100 with sink, and Jury's Familia, who throws 97, 98 with sink. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, when I played, Nolan Ryan threw hard, Dwight Gooden threw hard. There's a bunch of guys that threw hard, but they didn't sink it like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that, to me, is the most amazing thing. When guys come out of the bullpen and they're throwing that hard with that much movement, 
I get it now why there's so many strikeouts because of those guys, but you know, it's a weapon for the, for the managers. If, if those guys are on, but man, when they're struggling, the bull, bullpen can lose you a ton of games. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely impressed with some of the specialty pitches that these guys are coming up with. We're so obsessed with velocity and rightfully so. These guys are just winging it in. But you bring me a guy with a stellar curve and I'll, I'll watch him all night. Um, You mentioned Bryce Harper. He, of course, is one of the headliner names on the team. There's Nick Castellanos, that, that signing. And then, of course, Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins. Those are the big names. We know those names, Krucky. But who are some of the guys that we need to be paying attention to some of your sleepers of the season that you personally are looking forward to watching. Well, they got two young kids and, and, and they look comfortable and they look like they belong. And that's uh, Bryson Stark and Matt Veerling. Uh, Matt Veerling will be playing center field a lot because uh, Mickey Moniak, who had an unbelievable spring, is so sad. He broke his hand in the last exhibition game. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. But Mickey really had an unbelievable spring. But uh, watch Veerling play. He's, he's big. He's athletic. And he's not your typical launch angle swing. He's going to try to hit line drives. He likes to go the other way. Um, and, you know, he can run. And Bryson Stott, whether he plays third base, whether he plays shortstop, wherever he's going to play, he just had an impressive spring. And he just looks like a, a young kid who knows he can play at this level and he's comfortable doing it. And it doesn't help that one of his best friends in the world is, is Bryce Harper. We're up in Las Vegas yeah. together. So, you know, he, he just like those two guys look like they just belong. And, you know, coming into the season, the Phillies had no idea who's going to be their center fielder, who's going to be their uh, starting third baseman. It looks like these two young kids took it and ran with it. And, uh, you know, Alec Bohm's going to get some time at third too, but you know, Bryson Stott can hit. And, and we, I watched him, few at bats against lefties he's a left-handed hitter of course and you know he's he's not afraid to shoot the ball the other way off lefties which is if you can do that you got a chance against them and um and veerling like i said he just tries to hit line drives all over the field eventually he'll figure out power because he's such a big guy he'll hit for power but man he is athletic as heck and uh it's going to be fun to watch him now with oduvo herrera hurt and mickey moniak hurt he's probably going to get all the time in center field and uh, I, I got a feeling that uh you know, when those two guys come back from injury, I don't know if they're going to be uh, uh, just, you know, ushered back into here's your job because it's barely yeah. compliant. So, Kruk, tell me about this rotation. It's highly touted with you know, Wheeler, Nola, Gibson and Eflin. What are we expecting out of them this season? The key to the Philly season to me is going to be Aaron Nolan, Zach Eflin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Zach's coming off another uh, knee surgery. Uh, you know, he admitted last year that he had trouble pushing off. So his ball wasn't moving as much. He looked great in the spring, healthy, and, you know, he's such a big guy, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 throws that heavy sinker and slider combination, and, uh, you know, when he has his legs under him, he told me in spring training, uh, he said, my ball moves more, and he said he feels more comfortable, and he's pain-free, and look, Aaron Nola was the ace of the staff till he got Zach Wheeler, and, uh, you know, Aaron struggled last year, and, you know, he admitted that he he has to be better, and uh, the one good thing about Aaron is he's very honest with himself. He's not one of those guys that can look at it and say, well, you know, I don't think I did that bad, but you know, Aaron admitted he, you know, he was awful last year. And if the Phillies are going to get to play into October and deep in October, they need Aaron Nola to be good. He was great this spring. Uh, velocity was good. His movement was good. Uh, he has to work on, uh, he has struggled a lot of struggles last year with putting hitters away, even though he struck out a lot of guys, mm-hmm. He gave up a lot of two-strike hits, and and you, normally 
you know, Aaron gets two strikes on someone, he can put them away with that two seam fastball or the, or the big snappy curveball he has. Uh, but uh, besides those two guys, we were, is they're working him in. Hopefully he'll be ready to go end of this series, maybe next series uh, against the Mets. Ranger Suarez had an unbelievable second half of the season when they put him in the rotation. If he can do what he did last year, uh, you know, continue that path that he's on. Uh, he was just unbelievable. You talk about a guy who's not afraid. Yeah. You know, he throws 94, 95, but he will throw a ton of fastballs because he's not afraid to challenge hitters. And I, I love the way he competes. Uh, uh, it's going to be sad not getting able to watch him hit because he was entertaining watching him hit. But, uh, uh, you know, that that's, uh, you know, thank God we don't have to watch pitchers hit anymore. Kyle Gibson, you know, they have a deep rotation, but they have five deep guys but they have to stay healthy because there's not a lot coming up. And, uh, you know, Girardi has to be very smart with, with, uh, you know, how much he uses Wheeler. He has to be very smart with, uh, Eflin, uh, Rangers was, was behind because he arrived in spring training a little late. So Rangers is behind. So he's going to have to build up his arm and Wheeler's going to have to build up his too. So, uh, the bullpen is going to be used for the Phillies early in the season. If the bullpen struggles, the Phillies could get off to a bad start, but, uh, you know, I, I think that that offense can make up for a lot of mistakes because they, they got some pop in that lineup. Yeah, it's definitely shaping up to be the lineup. I think Bryce Harper signed up for a couple of seasons back. You mentioned just casually, thank gosh that pitchers aren't hitting anymore. As an, <laughs> as an NL guy, how excited were you to hear about the universal DH? Well, I, you know, I missed that part of the game though. You know, like, you know, you watch American league games and, you know, I hear people talk about, oh, well, our bench is strong. Well, the bench don't get to play, you know, maybe once a week. You know, they're not getting that bats pinch hitting for the pitcher and, you know, double switches and all that stuff. So I, I'm going to miss that aspect of it. But again, uh, you know, offense is, uh, you know, pitching is dominated, you know, it's mm-hmm. power pitching. And so you throw another bat in there now and it, it uh, I don't know if it's going to even the field, but it should bridge the gap a little bit between dominant pitching and, uh, struggling offense. Uh, and the Phillies, look, they're taking full advantage of it with Schwarber and Castellanos. Uh, uh, you know, one of them two is going to DH and it's going to be great for Bryce to get a day off and uh, just DH. Real Muto, it's going to be great for him to get a day off and probably DH or he can play first or whatever. What an unbelievable athlete that specimen is. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's going to be the best part is, is uh, your everyday players are going to get rest without losing at bats. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's a good way of looking at it, especially you, you know, I'm always worried about the guys who played before in the NL, but it feels like they're actually kind of embracing it now, but there are some people that actually miss pitchers hitting, which I think is brave. Um, I do not agree, but you know, <laughs> not ev- people really wanted to designate themselves on this Madison Bumgarner esque fantasy that they created in their head. And it certainly does not exist. Um, but don't, I, hey, don't be, don't be surprised if Madison hits when he pitches. He absolutely. Yeah. That doesn't surprise. I feel like he would be the type of guy to say, Hey, let me put me in. Like I want to, I want to do something. Um, before I let you go now, the, um, this A's team, it's young. Um, I walked into spring training, having to introduce to myself to a lot of new faces. They dealt with a lot of trades you've been a part of a lot of facets of, of teams as a player. How do you kind of start the season? Maybe walking into a clubhouse with a lot of people that you may not know. Well, you know, it can be exciting, you know, watching young players progress and develop, knowing that they're going to get playing time. 
So, you know, the, the, I'll give you an example. The Phillies are in a different position. They can't wait for these young kids to perform. Mm -hmm. They can't let them go a couple months and try to figure it out. Phillies have to win now. I think with Oakland, with all the trades they made, I mean, you know, you lose what your four or five best position players, you lose two of your best starters, if not your two best starters, uh, you know, it's a rebuild. Yeah. And, you know, you know, we talked before we came on about uh, Mark Kotze and how perfect he is for this job, uh, patient and, uh, uh, you know, he gets it. You know, he's been through rebuilds. He's been through good teams. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think he's the perfect man for the job for, for the Oakland A's. But I love it. I loved it. Uh, you know, I was a part of a young team that came up with the San Diego Padres and we had some veterans. But, you know, we had myself and Benito Santiago, Roberto Alomar, uh, Joey Cora, mm -hmm. Sandy Alomar Jr. I mean, there was a ton of young talent come up, um, coming up through the organization. And, you know, I, I thought we got really embraced by the veteran guys and that made the transition smooth. So the, 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 the veteran guys for the A's are really going to have to be patient with these young kids and understand that. Uh, you know, there's going to be highs and lows and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Kotze and the veterans are going to have to walk these guys through the season just to let them know that, Hey, you know, you can do this, you know, you just relax. I always tell young kids to breathe. Yeah, it seems like breathe. that that's the biggest thing, you know, and the, like, I remember my first postseason at bat and I was 30, 31, 32, 33 years old, something like that. And I mean, I couldn't breathe. And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh. You know, but then after, you know, after a while, you start to realize, you know what, I, this isn't nothing different than, uh, you know, a regular season game. So let's relax and play it. So, and that's what these guys have to do. They, you know, they're, they're talented players or they wouldn't be there. Right. And so you have to be patient with that talent because you, know, you look at the division and there's, there's some, you know, pretty good teams in the, in the, in the AL West. So uh, to think that Oakland can compete, it wouldn't surprise me because they seem to every year be there close to the end mm -hmm. uh, but you have to let these young kids just play and you can't uh, like the Phillies the last couple of years they thought they should have gotten a playoff so these young kids were going up and down up and down up and I'm glad that the new collective bargaining agreement I guess they changed that rule where you can only get sent down. I mean there was guys play one day and the next day they're gone and a week or so later they're back I'm like where the right. hell did he go you know? <laughs> <All right. laughs> so, so that I think that's the thing you just got to throw them out there let them play get the growing pains out and hopefully they uh, they leave Oakland going into uh, the uh, the second half of this year, next year, thinking, okay, you know, if we get X X Y or Z with these young kids, we're going to be good again. And and I hopefully that happens. I, I love watching those guys play. I love Bob Melvin, um, and now Kotze there. I, it, it's just going to be fun to watch these young kids play. And you'll be able to do that this series. I'm looking forward to seeing these two guys, these two teams go up against each other. Croc, uh, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You got it, Jessica. Crocky, one of the best in the business. Also fantastic. Melanie Newman, we've had her on the program on A's Cast Live, and Jessica had her on as she is play-by-play -play for the Baltimore Orioles. Does a fantastic job for the birds. We have A's versus Orioles coming up shortly, the third game of the home series. Jessica Kleinschmidt here, and today I'm joined by the voice of the Orioles, Melanie Newman. Melanie, my dear friend, how are you today? I am great. Uh, a little chillier than where you're at, but you know, it's always a good day when you've got baseball. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit warmer here, but 
it will get a little bit rainy later. And that is why, you know, we do have a different shift in the start time. I do believe I broke the news to you while you were in the midst of your broadcast. I want to keep you up to date on all the things. So we're here a little bit earlier than maybe we would have anticipated, but I can, I do have eyes on both teams, Melanie. They are both indeed here. That's good to know. I wanted to ask you, both of these teams heading into this series had a lot of confidence. The A's are coming off a really strong road series, a very long one, but so did the Orioles. They had a couple of good games. I do believe they took the series against the Yankees. What was their mentality heading into Oakland after some really strong performances over there? Yeah, well, you know, they needed that series win against the Yankees, taking two out of three. And the first game kind of sums up what the Orioles' strong suit has been at the plate so far, which is being patient and drawing walks. Um, Ten team walks in the game, a walk-off walk to win it and and take them down. And um, it just gave you a little boost because, look, their ERA as a whole between the team starters and bullpen are top three, if not second overall in the American League. It just so happens that the run production is the last. Um, and it's been tough for them to watch those situations. The guys have talked about it and said, look, it's a shortened spring training. Everybody talks about the fact that impacts the pitchers, but it also impacts us. We're not getting our reps in. So we still feel a little rusty in some ways when we're seeing pitches. And at the same time, because we're that younger team, because we know the pressure is on, we haven't found a way to take that pressure off with runners in scoring position. And you can kind of see where they fall short. Orioles were not able to collect the hit with runners in scoring position. In last night's game, they have been trying to change that. And when you look at the way that they have been robbed of some of these plays over the last two weeks as a whole, Pache just kind of highlights it in, in one game. You, you just scratch your head and ask how they beat bad luck. You did mention Pache, and I'll touch on him in a second. But this new runners and scoring position stat that the A's have been sucking up has been fantastic. I wish they could rub some of that off of you. Once the series is over, you mentioned that bullpen, a 2.67 ERA heading into yesterday's game. What was going on with the Orioles? However, I think one of the big snafus, a big bugaboo, if you will, for the Orioles, you mentioned Pache. Two of the best catches I've ever seen in person ever. You were tweeting about him. What have you seen from our center fielder that just has your mind blown? You know, I got to watch him coming up through the Braves organization and you knew that he had the talent. He had that ability. There's a reason why he was one of the headline pieces in that trade. Um, But to actually see it, those plays that he robbed from Kelvin Gutierrez and Austin Hayes, had the expected batting averages of 620 and 810. Off the bat, Hayes sounded like it was going to clear the wall and not even give Pache a chance. But this is a kid, and and I thought it was really driven home by his comment before the home opener that he didn't care if there was one fan in the stands. He was playing 110% for that one fan, period. And you like to see that. I mean, these two teams have so many parallels between each other just with young guys who are a little under the radar and they've got to put it on their own backs to go out and compete. They can't just roll over and say, well, we're not who we used to be, or we, we traded too many players. No, that's, that's an individual responsibility to make sure that you're going out and winning. Um, and for the Orioles, unfortunately, that mindset for Pache, it just continues to bubble up. Uh, where, where do you go? Where are you supposed to put the ball at this rate to, to find a hole, to find that success? You mentioned the, you know, 
there's a lot of opportunity that seems to be the word when it comes to the A's. And I feel like the O's can mirror that a little bit. Of course, Pache came over in that trade for Matt Olson. Um, that is right. You do have quite a background with the Braves. So I'm glad you got to see Pache before all of us discovered him. He's loving it too. He's absolutely enjoying it. He was flexing after some of those, those catches caught say really enjoyed it. I really appreciate a manager who lets the guys be themselves. Now, Melanie, you have a very ballooned resume and I'm bragging. I've known you since the very beginning. And I love that you've been able to add stuff. And once again, I'm here with Melanie Newman and you're with mass and you're with the Baltimore Orioles. You also did YouTube games. You have Apple upcoming, you have got MLB network, ESPN, all the things. I'm curious with all these things that have been introduced to you and it's well-deserved you've made history, but do you think MLB has embraced women yet in roles? Perhaps they're not used to, you know, I really think when you look at it from that perspective, you have to put it on a team by team responsibility because you can absolutely see where some teams have taken that seriously and they've made that placement seriously. These are women who, should have been in these roles probably sooner, but they're also treated with the integrity of being an equal, not more, not less, um, you know, and, and it goes a long way and you'll see others and you kind of scratch your head at, at some hirings or lack of hirings and just wonder at what point do they start handing off those responsibilities? At what point do they start actually taking their own selections seriously? Because it's deserved. And I mean, I think we all look back at Kim Ng and, and just how long she had to wait and watch people who had way shorter resumes than she did take that climb before she did. Um, and she's graceful about it, as always. And, and she has stepped up to the role and, and has not thought twice, has not been ugly about why her path was the way it was, as most of us have. You know, if you look back on it and you ask, you're just wasting your own time and you're getting frustrated over things that ultimately were outside of your control. Um, but you also break it down on an individual level too. And you do, I know we both know mutually how many men in our industry have been champions for us, have fought to, to back us up and, and to prove that we should be side by side with them. And I'm forever grateful for that. So I think it's a foot in the door. I, I don't think the door is, is wide open yet or even left open enough to stay open on its own. But that's why continuing that process, continuing to speak up, continuing to highlight the qualified women who do step into these roles is so important until it's just finally, yeah, it, it's the same for everybody. It's a hiring and it happens to be a female. Yeah. And you mentioned Kim Ang. We of course know that she was a big part of bringing Jesus Lazardo over to the Marlins, a wonderful addition to the A's last year in Starling Marte. There's also cash considerations involved. We see you, Kim Ang. It was fantastic. Melanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, it has been a lifelong pleasure. Well, that'll do it for A's Unfiltered and highlighting the interviews that Jessica Kleinschmidt has done for us on A's Cast and also the A's Radio Network. We want to thank Dan Straley, Ryan Sweeney, John Cruck, and Melanie Newman. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.